让你做真正的自己。邪恶越正义，谁才会胜利？左右的拉锯，结尾的差距，你会接受还是 stay away？ Stay away， stay away， 你会不会 stay away？ Stay away， stay away， 是非该如何抉择？是非该如何抉择？你带有没有灰色？什么？As mental illness or addiction touched your life, you might be interested in coming out to the Kaleidoscope, UBC's first and only student-created, peer-run mental health support group at the university's Vancouver campus. They offer a stigma-free place for people to share their stories with others going through similar experiences. The Kaleidoscope meets every week on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Centre for Student Involvement in Brock Hall. Learn more at the-kaleidoscope.com. Hello, hello! Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. I'm joined here by a good friend of mine at the station. It's、uh, Alex Sarah Davis. Oh, hey, Rohit, how's it going? It's going excellent, my friend. It's going excellent.、Um, how about with you? Ah,、uh, it's going pretty well too with me. All right. Well, we're gonna get to your. Film festival review in just a moment. Sure.、Uh, first, I wanted to talk about this cool event that's happening tonight, actually. So、uh, the event is called Bandwidth, a multimedia fundraiser, and、uh, this is an event that's raising funds for Media Democracy Day. Have you heard of it, Alex? By any chance? Media Democracy Day? No, I haven't. Yeah, this is actually、uh, a big project that、um, the SF, like the SFU School of Communication. Uh, uh, Hosts in November from November seventh to eighth, and the event is all about、uh, this urgency for change, getting people who are great communicators to talk. There's all kinds of workshops. It's all about the media, which is what we're a part of, and、wow. changing the media landscape for the better. So it's quite an interesting、uh, event. The fundraiser itself is a bit more casual in the sense that there's going to be music, there's going to be art. There's going to be all kinds of cool workshops. Some of the musical guests;、um, these are just like local artists.、Uh, for example, Nightbus、uh, is 
is kind of like a folksy band. Uh, they are composed of Kate Henderson and Jeremy Todd and Emily Wexler. Uh, and then another one, I like this uh, name of a band. This one's called Red Hot Icicles Burning <laughs> on Fire. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a, a name. Pretty long name. There. Yeah. Well, no, I like it, though. But that one's like a, uh, a more traditional rock and roll band. Uh, and then there's another one called no- Nouveau Cliché. <laughs> <laughs> Great names, these yeah, ones. Yeah, fantastic names. And uh, this one is a Vancouver synth-pop duo made of two friends brought together by their love of funk and all things 80s. So that <laughs> So with this kind of lineup, this is going to be pretty awesome. They also have poetry and spoken word. So it really encompasses, I think, the Arts Reports uh, kind of coverage. We like covering all kinds of arts. And this multimedia fundraiser happening tonight at Astorino's, an all-ages venue. So you're not limited uh, by your age. Nobody's going to be denied at the door. <laughs> you can come in and enjoy all this uh, great entertainment. Uh, the tickets are $10 in advance. Uh, but I'm pretty sure you can go and get them at the door as well. Uh, there'll be the, uh, you know, a silent auction with prizes, so you can go in there, enjoy music, and maybe even win a prize. So pretty cool stuff wow, going on like a lot of with fun. that. Yeah, um, another event I wanted to uh, plug, because I, I know of it personally. Um, this is called Mouth versus Mike. It's... Uh, a huge event uh, for the hip-hop community in Vancouver because there's not many times where we get to all gather together. And it's not only rappers. When you think hip-hop, you may maybe, and it's not, I don't blame you for this, maybe thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah, typical you know, rap and maybe like uh, a DJ. But that's, that's not entirely what Mike, uh, Mouth vs. Mike is composed of. In fact, you'll find... Uh, other types of hip-hop artists, because hip-hop includes graffiti artists. It includes, uh, you know, all kinds of break dancers and b-boys, b-girls. There's this culture of dance, art, and, you know, poetry and DJing. So right. all these things are encompassed in mouth versus mic and beatboxing. Uh, that's how I've participated in the event <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so Mouth vs. Mike is celebrating its two-year anniversary on October 21st. Wow. Um, it's, it's a great communal get-together of people from all over Vancouver's hip-hop community. I recommend everybody to go check it out. Uh, it's at Calabash Bistro. So it'll be on October 21st at Calabash Bistro. Um, you can pay for tickets at the door. Uh, and the donations are actually going towards mobilizing against... Uh, uh, you know, the current war uh, regimes going on right now with, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world uh, in the Middle East. So they're actually trying to raise funds to actually protest against these things and uh, fund the people who are most affected by them. So wow, the money is going to a good cause. You get some uh, really cool artwork, music, all kinds of entertainment uh, going on in that uh, event. Uh, if possible, I might try to get my buddy, uh, who's called St. Elements, to do an interview next week. Well, uh, well, uh, I'll cross my fingers on that because <laughs> he's a busy guy. So, if possible, you guys might be able to hear from him, uh, the mouth himself, <laughs> from <laughs> Mouth versus Mike. Uh, so, uh, what we're gonna cool. do is we're gonna play a little, just to show you kind of like what goes down. This is a freestyle from their podcast. Uh, I think it's really cool. 
and uh, I'm going to play it for you guys just to give you an idea of what the event is is like. Enjoy. This is a Mouth versus Mike freestyle with ST Elements and Rupert Common. Rupert Common with ST Elements freestyle. Yo, go to freestyles at Cardin with Cartman on the MC tip like Barman. Paul with bars, man. I got mad bars like Mars bars. Oldest tricks in the book, oldest cliches I'll use in my nook. I'm not a crook, but I do get crooked like crooked eye. Why my eye looks in the crooked past and holds on to it? My eye has arms like the ear, the eye, and the arm. Why I charm? I'm coming through with the Parmesan cheese. That is me, please. Unless you're vegan, you don't want the cheese on your past, even your lasagna. That rhymes if you have a Vancouver twang. This is Rupert ST with the hip hop. Hip-hop slang. Hip-hop slang. ST in the mix. What was Lyric just saying with all of his lyrics? I called him Lyric. His name is really Rupert. But now I grab the microphone and wish I had a new shirt. But still, I will sulk with Incredible Hulk. Which seems ironic on me because I do not have the bulk. The strength to go the length. I don't have the physical form. But STL can rock a microphone and never kick the norm. A lyrics. I'd rather kick some things that's funky and new. With my man K-Rec on the beat, he's always doing the do in the studio. With me and Rupert Common doing the podcast. Stephen Gillis in the house with the camera so it is going to last forever on your digital screen the internet yes the computer you know what i mean the web you get caught in it now the spider seo will come into the place because i'm an industry insider biting you sucking all the blood out of your system i passed a drawer for common because i never wanted to diss him like this mm, like this and listen like that listen to me microphone check like a papst beer perhaps we're just thinking really clearly like water you see hanging out with him and then know he's got the hulk I know you're just a tank, tongues out like Ian Banks. I mean, I meant to say Adam Banks from Mighty Duck. My, my luck is getting really higher in the scheme of luck. This is how we do. We don't give a what. I don't know what, where, when, why. The questions that we ask to the sky god. Why, god, do you do this? I don't even know. Sometimes I meditate, try to be Buddhist. And then I become a nudist. Go to Wreck Beach and then wreck the scene when I reach with K-Wreck. And we freak it frequently in terms of musicality. Not the other way that sounded tragically close to a misinterpretation. This is us on this nation facing each other in a totally non-competitive way to rap. I'm on the beat in a weird way. I'm on the beat with a hearsay and the how-do and the we can with the tune tier to two turntables slurring my words because I need some energy. Yeah, and I'll be rolling my whip. Cold coming down the ave and these suckers try to trip on ST. But yo, I just cock back the nine and blast all these motherfucking marks one time. Plus I grab the hose and then I grab the blow. I chop it up. Mix it up, resell it, just to let you know. I'm running things with the gangster lean on the scene. ST Elements since I was a teen. I was doing time, making rhymes, doing all types of petty shit. But then I flipped it, went legit, started rapping. So now I'm slanging the real dope. We're Rupert Common in the place to be. And you suckers can hope to take us out. But it just can't be done. Because when you pass the mic, I have no need to run. Because I shine like the sun. And then I pass it off to Rupert Common in the place to be. And he is like the mama talk. It's Mike versus Mouth and we're holding it down. I said it's Mike versus mouth and we're holding it down. down. It's Mike versus mouth and we're holding it down. Living in the living in the living in the now. <laughs> Peace out. Uh, mouth versus Mike freestyle. Fatigued freestyle. SC elements. Show. Rupert Carmen. K Rec beat. I gotta say, Rohit, that stuff just blows me away that people can think that quickly on their feet. Oh, man. Yeah, that was... So in case you guys are joining us just now, that was a uh, freestyle with ST Elements and Rupert Common. Both of them are 
Vancouver MCs. Sadly, they're being slept on because nobody knows about them. Not <laughs> enough people know about them except the Vancouver hip-hop community, really. Uh, but they're, as you, can, as you might have heard, they're great talents. And that was legitimate freestyle. Uh, that was not like some blackberry. I, did, I, I had the video in front of me. They were not looking at their blackberries <laughs> like a certain infamous Canadian rap artist has done. <laughs> <laughs> Won't mention names. <clears throat> Drake. <clears throat> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the I, I guess I just wanted to show show a bit of that because that's the kind of good vibes you're going to get. It's a really casual atmosphere. You're going to see like uh, music mixed with art because it's really cool in one of the segments there'll be rapping going on and there's a guy who's doing a graffiti artwork inspired by the by the rap that's and then at the same time i've been a part of this like as well and a whole bunch of beatboxers get together and then uh the break dancers form a circle and then we make the beats for the break dancers to dance to oh so it's got this really communal jam atmosphere um, you gotta come check it out. October twenty first, uh, the Mouth versus Mike two year anniversary. You don't need to be into hip hop to have a good time. I think you'll just have a good time with the good vibes of and like the people that are there. Uh, really awesome. So now we're on to um, a movie that I was actually really wanting to catch, but alas, I have not been able to make time for many VIF movies. I only saw one, which I talked about last week. That was Violent. Uh, but I'm joined here by Alex Sarah Davis, who's he considers himself an amateur film buff, <laughs> and uh, he he has uh, watched a, a movie called Men, Women, and Children, directed by Jason Reitman. Um, so, what can you tell us just to set it all up? What, yeah. what can you tell us? Yeah, about no, the movie? for sure. Right off the bat, Reitman here has a movie that's got some really mixed reviews, which is interesting because that's sort of a first for him. Hmm. Um, I came out of the theater, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I came out of the theater thinking that uh, the movie was pretty good. Um, For those of people who don't know Jason Reitman, um, do you know any movies off the top? I I can think of Thank You for Smoking, that's one for sure. Any other ones that maybe people might know? Because you said... He's not known for uh, mixed reviews. He's usually pretty consistent, eh? Like, yeah, well, I mean, he's one of those directors that usually get uh, tossed around when people talk about consistently good or impressive work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, I was kind of surprised to see how mixed the reviews were. There are a lot of people saying, and just to just to explain sort of what the movie's about, it follows a number of different characters who are living in the same small town. Mm-hmm. And they're all interacting with each other and with other characters um, using the internet, using cell phones, using Twitter, uh, even that that one website. I can't remember the name now, but the one that encourages you to have extramarital affairs. There's that one website. Anyway, so mm. all these different kind of social networks and new yeah. technology and stuff. And uh, a lot of people are saying that this is presenting a kind of a lifetime version of what the internet is about. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's all made for television. It's kind of softened down. It's hard boiled. It's prepped yeah. for the public. And uh, I, I mean, I see where that criticism is coming from. I really, I do because a lot of what they do show in the movie is pretty tame compared to some of the stuff that I personally, and I don't consider myself to be an expert, but it, just as like, Things that I've stumbled upon on the internet have been a lot darker than some of the stuff in the movie. But that isn't to say that the movie is is doing a bad job of representing the internet, you know? 
Would that complaint be that the are people saying the movie's not dark enough for for the twisted depths of the exactly. internet? Like, do we need to go there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the way I see it, I've been looking at, I've been, you know, I grew up with the internet. Yeah, I've owned a computer since I was very, very young because my mm-hmm. parents were given computers through their workplace, and I got their old ones and things like that. So I've been on the internet for you know, 16 years, and that's three quarters of my life. That's ridiculous. So I've been waiting for Hollywood, and um, TV shows are actually better at this than Hollywood, but I've been waiting for Hollywood to catch up and sort of show the internet in a representation that that fits what I've seen and Mm -hmm. my experiences and not something that, you know, is designed to you know, reinforce what old people who don't know what the internet is. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of those hacker movies, like 90s oh, hacker movies. <laughs> you know, oh, like... that one with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, what's still... It's just hackers. it's just called hackers. It's yeah, just hackers. The one. <laughs> the one with the smiley-faced viruses. I swear to God, <laughs> amazing movie. Absolutely fantastic. Just what they thought hackers could do and all that <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I, I really think that this movie, Men, Women, and Children is probably one of the best representations of the internet and how um, adults who aren't really super tech savvy and how kids who are growing up in the the world as it is today are interacting with each other over the internet and interacting with the internet. I think it's one of the most accurate depictions of that I've ever seen come out of Hollywood. Yeah, and for those of you who may not have heard of this movie, you will have definitely heard of some of these, these cast members. Oh, it's ridiculous. So, Men, Women, and Children has Adam Sandler, Jennifer Garner, uh, Dean Norris, who's uh, Hank in Breaking Bad, Emma Thompson, uh, who I hope many of you who are avid Shakespeare fans might have <laughs> seen her in uh, in her performances in many Shakespeare movies, like Much Ado About Nothing. Uh-huh. Um and like I mean, that's that's just a few of the many actors that are in the movie. Like these are like that's some AAA talent you got there. That, it's crazy, and in particular, Adam Sandler just blew me away. I really? was really not expecting the performance. Does he put that... in a pretty serious, somber role? So I mean, normally when you think of Adam Sandler, you think of schlub. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but that's that's sort of the way he's been typecast. That's even the in word, definitely. even in his early on movies, right? Like uh, Mr. Deeds and yeah. Big Daddy and all that stuff. And he comes back and he's reprising his role as a schlub, right? Mm -hmm. But he's a father and he's a father struggling with this family that's, you know, experiencing all this different turbulence and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I won't spoil it for you. But all I want to say is that I was really blown away by how serious his turn was in this movie. And he did not take it in a direction that I thought at all. Like the character is written in a totally different way than I would have expected uh, the stereotype for that kind of character to turn out. I mean, you'll see it. He pulls it together, really nails the last scene that he's in. Oh, wow. It's just, it's really impressive to me. And another surprise for me was Jennifer Garner, who plays an overprotective mother who's literally watching everything that her daughter does on the internet. And mm. I was surprised to see, you know, all these different varying views on the internet and what it should be and what it has to be and what we have to do to protect our kids or if we should just let our kids, you know, roam free, all that stuff. It's a lot of different views being presented and none of them are mm. being expressly said that's the right one. Nothing's you know? being preached then. No, okay. not at all. It didn't my, seem to my me. My concern about the movie looking in, like just from the trailer, is uh-huh. that, it, oh, it's like this other, another like thing about, oh, the day dangers of the internet. (laughs) I understand that fear. This is the to catch a predator age. Exactly. I totally understand that fear, but I will totally 
I mean, I can I can say without a doubt that the movie might have a message, but mm-hmm. it won't be nearly as blatant as that. Um, just to give you an example, Jennifer Garner plays this overprotective mother, and her daughter is forced into a kind of rebellious teen phase yeah. because she's just being strangled by this mother. Mm. But in the same movie, there's a daughter who is encouraged by an online community to starve herself. Uh, it, so she's her eating disorder is being... It, Theoretically, it was caused by, but more likely it's being encouraged by and enabled by this community on the internet. And so we're clearly seeing two very different depictions. Yeah. One, the internet is something that's safe and it's ridiculous for you to think that it's dangerous. And we are made to laugh at Jennifer Garner's character sometimes. She's yeah. that over the top, um, but still very, you know, very believable. Whereas, on the other hand, we're getting this picture of you know, the internet as a really dangerous place, you know, we have to be aware of what's going on. So I don't think the movie is taking a a two-dimensional approach to Mm -hmm. any of this stuff. I I think, you know, that's part of the reason that I've been so impressed with their depiction of the internet is because they're willing to show all these different sort of sides. Wow. Well, that was an excellent review, Alex. (laughs) I I was already intrigued by the movie's premise. for those of you who are listening and are driving, you could still catch this movie right now if you somehow <laughs> yeah. get to uh, the Center for Performing Arts. Today. Unfortunately, today is the last day. Uh, it's at 6 p.m. tonight at the Center for Performing Arts. Which is uh, only in- 40 minutes from now down on Homer Street. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, you can get in <laughs> just in time. Yeah, just in time. Uh, ain't that the fun of it? Um <laughs> But uh, thank you for that, Alex. That's a, that's a really awesome review of uh, the film, Men, Women, and Children, directed by Jason Reitman. Um, all right, guys, we're going to take a quick PSA break, but stay tuned for more art support on CITR 101.9. G-O-S-A. The Global Outreach Students Association offers students the chance to learn about global health and international development while providing students with opportunities for practical experience working within disadvantaged communities both locally and internationally. They also collaborate with other clubs to organize global health-related symposiums and competitions. Executive positions are available. Contact them at ubc.gosa at gmail.com. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Hello, and um, here I am, Rohit Joseph, co-host <laughs> of the Arts Report. Um, we're back now, and we're going to talk about a uh, op- an opera that's coming up that uh, if you guys know of this spoken word artist, you're going to be really excited about. So Vancouver Opera is about to do a very, very dark, serious opera, and it's going to be based on Shane Koizan's life experiences and poetry. Wow. Now, Shane's, uh, Shane Koizan is a 
really, really awesome spoken word artist. Uh, he has delivered some really powerful emotional uh, poems uh, and slam poetry, particularly. That's his thing. I think he would. You could say you could almost accredit him to bringing back slam poetry to the forefront uh, in Vancouver's. Uh, uh, culture and as well as I mean not just Vancouver in Canadian culture uh, slam poetry is now a big deal again and Sh- uh, Shane Corzan is one of the reasons and he, he's become like an export he's done TED talks he's done all kinds of conferences and he's he has a really strong anti-bullying message with his poems um, so the poet turned librettist has been doing lots of reflecting on his traumatic childhood as Vancouver Opera puts the final touches on the new work called Stick Boy. So it's written with the composer Neil Wisnell, uh, and this ambitious production uh, depicts horrific acts of bullying that the artist suffered around uh, 10 years old. Uh, so Stick Boy follows Koizan into violence and depression, uh, which led him to eventually become an aggressor himself. The title comes in part from the monster he imagines inside himself, one made of sticks uh, and of dynamite that he can feel ready to explode. So this is going to be a, a really um, powerful opera. I mean, I'm not usually into opera, but I, I love the idea of this. And I think this is a good way to get more people into opera, the young crowd especially. Uh, lots of university students, high school students have probably uh, maybe at least heard of Shane Koizan's uh, poems. Uh, so maybe they might be inclined to check this opera out. Uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to play an excerpt of um, Shane Koizan's poem. It's called To This Day. Uh, and this is a really powerful, one of his most powerful poems. Uh, you will enjoy this. Uh, this video, you can you can actually find a video uh, with animation and all this on YouTube. Uh, just type in To This Day Project uh, and Shane Koizan will come up right away. So hope you guys enjoy. When I was a kid, I used to think that pork chops and karate chops were the same thing. I thought they were both pork chops. And because my grandmother thought it was cute, and because they were my favorite, she let me keep doing it. Not really a big deal. One day, before I realized fat kids are not designed to climb trees, I fell out of a tree and bruised the right side of my body. I didn't want to tell my grandmother about it because I was scared I'd get in trouble for playing somewhere I shouldn't have been. A few days later, the gym teacher noticed the bruise and I got sent to the principal's office. From there, I was sent to another small room with a really nice lady who asked me all kinds of questions about my life at home. I saw no reason to lie. As far as I was concerned, life was pretty good. I told her whenever I'm sad, my grandmother gives me karate chops. This led to a full-scale investigation and I was removed from the house for three days until they finally decided to ask how I got the bruises. News of this silly little story quickly spread through the school and I earned my first nickname, Porkchop. To this day, I hate pork chops. I'm not the only kid who grew up this way. Surrounded by people who used to say that rhyme about sticks and stones. As if broken bones hurt more than the names we got called, and we got called them all. So we grew up believing no one would ever fall in love with us. 
that we'd be lonely forever. That we'd never meet someone to make us feel like the sun was something they built for us in their tool shed. So broken heartstrings bled the blues as we tried to empty ourselves so we would feel nothing. Don't tell me that hurts less than a broken bone. That an ingrown life is something surgeons can cut away. That there's no way for it to metastasize, it does. She was eight years old. Our first day of grade three when she got called ugly. We both got moved to the back of class so we would stop getting bombarded by spitballs. But the school halls were a battleground where we found ourselves outnumbered day after wretched day. We used to stay inside for recess because outside was worse. Outside, we'd have to rehearse running away or learn to stay still like statues, giving no clues that we were there in grade five. They tipped a sign at the front of her desk that read, Beware of dog. To this day, despite a loving husband, she doesn't think she's beautiful because of a birthmark that takes up a little less than half her face. Kids used to say she looks like a wrong answer that someone tried to erase but couldn't quite get the job done. And they'll never understand that she's raising two kids whose definition of beauty begins with the word mom. Because they see her heart before they see her skin. Because she's only ever always been amazing. He was a broken branch grafted onto a different family tree. Adopted. Not because his parents opted for a different destiny. He was three when he became a mixed drink of one part left alone and two parts tragedy started therapy in eighth grade, had a personality made up of tests and pills, lived like the uphills were mountains and the downhills were cliffs, four-fifth suicidal, a tidal wave of antidepressants and an adolescence being called pauper. One part because of the pills, 99 parts because of the cruelty. He tried to kill himself in grade 10 when a kid who could still go home to mom and dad had the audacity to tell him, get over it. As if depression is something that can be remedied by any of the contents found in a first aid kit. To this day, he is a stick of TNT lit from both ends. Could describe to in detail the way the sky bends in the moments before it's about to fall. And despite an army of friends who all call him an inspiration, he remains a conversation piece between people who can't understand. Sometimes being drug-free has less to do with addiction and more to do with sanity. We weren't the only kids who grew up this way. To this day, kids are still being called names. The classics were, hey, stupid. Hey, spaz. Seems like every school has an arsenal of names getting updated every year. And if a kid breaks in a school and no one around chooses to hear, do they make a sound? Are they just background noise from a soundtrack stuck on repeat when people say things like kids can be cruel? Every school was a big top circus tent And the pecking order went from acrobats to lion tamers From clowns to carnies All of these miles ahead of who we were We were freaks Lobster claw boys and bearded ladies Oddities juggling depression and loneliness Playing solitaire, spitting the bottle Trying to kiss the wounded parts of ourselves and heal But at night, while the others slept We kept walking the tightrope It was practice, and yes, some of us fell But I want to tell them that all of this is just debris left over when we finally decide to smash all the things we thought we used to be. And if you can't see anything beautiful about yourself, get a better mirror. Look a little closer. Stare a little longer. 
because there's something inside you that made you keep trying despite everyone who told you to quit. You built a cast around your broken heart and signed it yourself, you signed it. They were wrong. Because maybe you didn't belong to a group or a clique. Maybe they decided to pick you last for basketball or everything. Maybe you used to bring bruises and broken teeth to show and tell but never told. Because how can you hold your ground if everyone around you wants to bury you beneath it? You have to believe that they were wrong. They have to be wrong. Why else would we still be here? We grew up learning to cheer on the underdog because we see ourselves in them. We stem from a root planted in the belief that we are not what we were called. We are not abandoned cars stalled out and sitting empty on some highway. And if in some way we are, don't worry. We only got out to walk and get gas. We are graduating members from the class of we made it. Not the faded echoes of voices crying out names will never hurt me. Of course, they did. But our lives will only ever always continue to be a balancing act that has less to do with pain and more to do with beauty. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Are you not sure where to go on campus? Traveling late at night and afraid to go alone? Call SafeWalk, a free service where a co-ed team will take you anywhere you need to go on campus. Don't walk alone. For a walk, add SafeWalk to your phone. Call 604-822-5355. That's 604-822-5355. Alternatively, use a UBC Blue phone and ask for SafeWalk. Approach any SafeWalk team or drop by our office on the main floor of the sub across from the gallery lounge. Hi, you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Sarah, and I'm here with my lovely co-host Rohit and our arts reporter James. Hi. Yay. Hello. So Rohit just played uh, Shane Koizen, who I don't know much about, um, but it's kind of serendipitous that Rohit played him because, well, you mentioned the Stick Boy Opera, mm-hmm. which is coming up. They've got quite a long run, October 23rd to November 7th at no- uh, Vancouver Playhouse. So it's pretty unusual. Um, so it's a libretto by Shane Koizen, and then com- the music is composed by... Neil Weisenall. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't say it. that name was tricky with me. I, I, just, Both made, of those I names. just took a stab. I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm right, but it's about um, expo- explores the inner life of a young boy tragically impacted by bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it fo- the story follows an overweight child with a vivid imagination who is tragically shunned and bullied daily by his peers. Even though supported by the unyielding love of his grandmother, the boy's courage transforms into the same outward expressions of violence that he has to endure, becoming the bully himself. Um, so it it sounds like an interesting story and an unusual kind of medium, right? To opera, to, yeah. To t- in fact, I, I remember chatting with someone like when I first heard about this, like early in the year, like 
if you're trying to reach kids, like, is opera really the best <laughs> medium to do so? <laughs> you know? Oh, now I remember. I was there for this conversation yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, I think, like, if the idea is for, the, for Vancouver Opera's benefit, exposing more people to opera, especially adolescents, you know, uh, it's, it's a great way of doing that. Maybe, you know what? It's not like kids wouldn't be into opera necessarily. If it's something that affects them and, you know, is relevant to them, because many of the operas that, that people perform uh, and that sta- companies perform, uh, stage companies perform, are things that are written like 200, 300 years ago, things that kids wouldn't really care about. But if it's something kids care about, maybe, maybe it's something that's perfect for schools to take a field trip to, right? Maybe it's something that parents will see and think, oh, yeah, like, I... I want to go, let's go with the family. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily something kids out of their own volition might want to see because when they hear opera, like you said, they might be uh, discouraged at first. But um, the topic is relevant. The topic mm-hmm. is something that affects them on a probably on a daily basis, whether they're not, whether they're, they're bullied or not. It's something they know mm-hmm. and they know of and see or experience. Yeah. Uh, and there's adult bullying, of unfortunately, yeah. in the workplace, right? That's a good, yeah. of course. So it's, it's, and it's a relevant topic. And obviously Shane Hoisen's like really considered a top-notch kind of poet. Is that what he mostly does? Like yeah. storytelling and poetry? Storytelling and poetry, like slam poetry, I guess, if you want to be more specific, because... Slam poetry is essentially a really passionate performance, like a really passionate poetic monologue, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I guess I'll see. I have a ticket, October twenty eighth awesome. to go, and uh, I know you wanted to go, James, but maybe you will. Well, but you got to see <laughs> you got to see Carmen. I got to see Vancouver Opera's Carmen. So they just had a short little run, didn't mm-hmm. they? It's over now. I believe so. Yes. Um, yeah, it finished October 5th, but, um, it was a good run. Um, I think they, they did pretty well with ticket sales the entire mm-hmm. time. Well, and, um, as they should, because it's a fantastic company and it's a fantastic opera. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on the 5th, I went on the 3rd, it was Friday night. Everyone was all dressed up. It was <laughs> so nice. Um, yeah, it was a pretty classic production that was true to the tr- traditional opera. I think, um, it wasn't terribly innovative but um yeah as a traditional opera it was it was an ode to um to the past i guess uh there was a really large cast um there was a child ensemble which lightened the mood from the dreary theme what's Um, the dreary theme well beware of love right (laughs) oh the temptress the seductress yeah yeah. um doesn't he kill her Spoiler. Yeah, spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler alert. Someone Jesus. dies in this opera. <laughs> he does. So, um, yeah, Carmen was played by Ginger Costa Jackson. And she does. She, she eloquently rides this fine line between a villain and a heroine. I mean, mm. you know, she she's the main character, but you just despise her. She just toys with these people's emotions. She has complete disregard for anyone but herself. And um, poor Don Jose, who was played by Christopher um, Magiera or Magiera, pardon me. He was um, he was really sympathetic, and he was just you know he was just the guy you feel sorry for. He is this poor um, soldier that falls in love with her, allows her to escape and get sent to jail, loses his title, his job, his family, and his girlfriend for this gypsy. <laughs> You said it. Oh, that just came out of my mouth. Oh, she is. She's a prostitute. You know, 
Um, <laughs> and uh, and it, yeah, it's just um, so so. Carmen Ginger Costa Jackson did a fantastic job at that. Don Jose, played by Christopher uh, Megera, was a little bit weak. I mean, the character himself is, is weak. weak. Yeah, from what you've described. But he was a little frustrating at times. I mean, his voice even. You, mm. At certain points, you couldn't hear him. Towards the end of the show, you couldn't hear him over the orchestra. Hmm. At the most passionate, you know, climactic moments. He was like, what? What is it? Um, thank God for the uh, sous-titres. Um, what do you call them? Subtitles? Yeah, but there was over. Overtitles? <laughs> But yeah, subtitles. <laughs> right, because they're 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 posted at the top of the stage. Yeah, yes. mm. yeah. I love how you said that in French. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> sounded that much sexier. Yeah, it always absolutely. does in French. Thank you. I like what you said, kind of, and it ties in with what you said earlier about the sexy opera. Like uh, it was like Vancouver Opera kind of marketed it as the sexiest opera, or yeah. and this the, this kind of drive, this marketing drive that they're having to attract younger audiences, and I think that's good, it's needed, because, you know, mm-hmm. I've been to operas where the crowd's, like, really, you know, sort of upper middle class, older mm-hmm. crowd, and they're trying to get young people in by having kind of more modern stuff, or framing things in a way. Mm-hmm. That's... Well, I mean, as far as this concerned, that was, mar- the marketing was the beginning and the end of the sexiness of this opera. Um, it really didn't pull through at all. I mean, like, yes, it's about a courtesan, but um, it was the whole the whole production was really low energy. Um, you know, she did a couple of sexy swivels here and there, but it looked so forced. Um, the movement of the opera was the biggest um, critique I had. Um, they had fight scenes. They had a cat fight between the two women, which was pretty good. But then they had a fight between the two rival men, and mm. punches were landing miles away from faces. <laughs> it was it was just yeah, that that Bollywood choreography, oh, as I like to say. <laughs> it, it was just it was a little cringeworthy, you know. You just kind of had to roll your eyes and wait for it to you finish. Didn't like it? Oh no! Just just the movement, mm. and then I mean, you have such a huge cast. There was you know all these people on stage, and you know the vast majority of them are just standing there. Like, you know, do something, make some kind of excitement, make some kind of movement. I mean, the scene where they're in the bar on the street, it's supposed to be this, you know, revelry, this drunken. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it makes me think, I talk about flamenco a lot on the show because I really love flamenco. Mm, and who, and yeah. I mean, who it's sort of that gypsy <laughs> tradition, right, of the crowds. And it sounds like they didn't capture that energy no. because it's like mm. the crowds that clap and provide this enthusiasm and the kind of the whirling and the, yes. you know, the intensity of the, that flamenco vibe could have maybe been there, but it, it was wasn't. like a flamenco dancer on the corner of Robson, you know, people kind of walking past and trying not to pay attention. It was. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. It was, it was a flamenco scene, but and, and I, I mean, it was choreographed well. But um, yeah, there just wasn't this energy. Mm. And then there's this, you know, the the climax where he's professing his undying love for her and saying, "Well, I'm gonna have to kill you. There's no other way about this." And I'm just kind of oh, okay, yeah, all right. You know, it's kind of just ABC. <laughs> nothing, nothing. You know. Um, to call home about here but um huh. yeah it was just very and i don't know if that's um a relic of the traditional opera or if that has something to do with the direction of this particular or performance maybe they were under rehearsed or 
it was just a bad night or yeah perhaps perhaps it was a short run i was surprised why they only had like four or five shows i mean sometimes they do a short run but yeah yeah considering it's a popular opera like if people if the average person is going to go see an opera it's more likely to be something like that right Mm -hmm. Carmen, because it's famous and we played some of the music last week remember and yeah it's so uh not relatable but identifiable Mm -hmm. yeah and that was really fun to mm-hmm. um because there's at least you know two songs in every um act that mm-hmm. everybody knows mm-hmm. you yeah know? and you just you, even you, if you don't know opera mm-hmm. you know those yeah, songs you know right? those songs like the Tradadori song my friend and i were walking down the street going da 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 you know and so that was really fun the costumes were really good um they were um it was set in the um, in the twenties. Oh, sorry, the nineteen twenties. Oh, cool. So it was kind of this pre, um, you know, that kind of World War One ish. I guess too late for that. Pre World War Two kind of. Um, the men, the the, <laughs> the gypsy men were in those huge baggy vests. <laughs> you know, like gigolo vest or um, suits. Big zoot baggy, suits? yeah, zoot, zoot suits. suits. That's yeah. exactly. They were I these... wore one in the Butch and Femme uh. fashion show. Wore <laughs> zoot suit. That's how I know. They looked great. Yes. They looked great. And then the sets were um, they were pretty subdued, um, except for the very last one, which was um, the scene takes place at the Coliseum, watching the um, oh gosh, what are they called with the oh, Tratador. Um Matador Matador. Thank yeah, you. there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's a cross section of a Matador Coliseum, mm. and so. Um, you know, the bleachers created this diagonal line that took up the entire stage with the chorus sitting facing stage right. And then the action between Don Jose and um, Carmen took place uh, under the bleachers in this kind of subterranean um, columned area with the big Salida exit sign behind them, (laughs) right? Which is kind of ominous considering there was no exit. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, so that was really interesting and that was cool. But uh, yeah, it was a really good traditional opera. Um, if if you're looking for a slice of good old fashioned apple pie opera, mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, it's fun to go out to the opera. I mean, I think that's part of it, right? Like the whole ritual around that and people dressing up and the little bells, like five minutes to go mm-hmm. and... The last one I went to, Don Carlo, was, it was long. This one was long, too, wasn't it? Was it was three hours, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, um, but I've seen some really good ones over time, so I'm interested to see Stick Boy. Um, another thing I did, which you might be able to comment on, Rohit hasn't gone, but I hope no. you do, <laughs> is Kitty Nights Burlesque. So Megan, Yay. who you know well, yeah. used to, our former uh, host and arts director, used to talk a lot about burlesque and cover burlesque and i think she's a burlesque yes, herself she is. Um, oh i didn't know her. that yeah. busts ahoy or busts a plenty cheeks a plenty cheeks a plenty <laughs> <laughs> good yeah, name yeah i mean a lot of you know busts some people up. get very serious about it but some people just do it just to empower themselves and have fun and feel sexier and maybe i would do that like because i'm kind of clunky overall but um <laughs> i've always wanted to go see kitty nights burlesque because it's at the biltmore cabaret every sunday and, uh, you know, we're kind of talking. It's a fun night out. It's like nine mm-hmm. bucks. Mm-hmm. And they have chairs set up. And um, all the girls. So it's 
And I guess it's like kind of syndicated. Like there's one in New York, Kitty Nights Burlesque. There's one in yeah. Toronto. Oh, since January 2008, New York City Transplant and Vancouver's reigning burlesque queen, Burgundy Bricks, continues to bring Vancouver audiences a different lineup of the greatest local and international burlesque stars and starlets every week. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> hosted by the fun-loving Professor. <laughs> yes, yes. Not <laughs> Professor, like I thought. And there's door prizes, the, uh, the bag of sex. So you can win a bag of sex. <laughs> so I bought a raffle ticket. I went with Anita B, who's coming up at 630, and my bandmate, Anita B. And... um. So we're like waiting with our raffle tickets. Are we going to win the bag of sex? So I don't know what was in it. Like gift certificates for stuff and lotion and stuff like that. And they also have a 50-50 draw. So someone won like 50 bucks. And they'll have drink giveaways and stuff. So no, it it was fun. You know, I wasn't like super impressed. You know, like it was a little bit lean on the burlesque. Mm. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Like, you know, by the time they give away the prizes and the professor talks a lot... There's only really a few, three or four burlesque songs, you know, like per, there's, oh. there's the first half and then there's an intermission in the second half. So you sat there for a good long time, but really there wasn't that much burlesque. But mm-hmm. a lot of work goes into it. I mean, they have these super elaborate costumes. I'm just curious, Sarah, what, what is a typical burlesque song like or do they do, oh. is it like contemporary stuff now like what do they do for burlesque i mean at one point when you you know you thought of burlesque and you associate moulin rouge and those really grand grandiose kind of orchestral pieces that people dance uh, the, the, maybe the burlesque dancers of the 20s dance to but mm-hmm. nowadays is it taken a completely different shape and form in that like i'm just curious to know that the the or yeah, james yeah the if horizons you know. are endless uh, my friend uh nightmare uh, has a burlesque troupe called the Lost Girls, and they do gore and goth burlesque once every Friday, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. once a month. And then you know you have traditional um, feathers and boas burlesque, and then, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's maybe what I was psychedelic thinking. rock burlesque, and then oh, boylesque, cool. you know, yeah, <laughs> like it, they get really creative. So there was some of that traditional stuff. You know, there was a girl who was, like, kind of 50s pretending to be a hitchhiker, and she strips down as, you know, like, kind of miming being a hitchhiker. There was one who was, uh, this is, like, uh, who was, um, you know, the Curious George? Mm -hmm. You know, the man in yellow that's, like, Curious George's owner? She was dressed as the man in yellow, and she has a little monkey on her back, (laughs) and she strips down. She has a giant yellow hat. Like, so some of it's really genuinely sexy and there was like a frankenstein one where they had frankenstein masks and sort of halloweeny costumes so some of it's more traditional some of it's more fun like peach and fuzz who i love you peach and fuzz you're the most beautiful girl i've ever met um she does more gender bending kind of burlesque like she'll be like super mario and then strip down right and 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 uh, so she and and she has a yeah she has a like a troupe as well. I can't remember the name Diablo or something. Um, but they do, I've seen them do pretty extreme kind of some Halloweeny mm. horror stuff too. So yeah, it's pretty all over the place. Mm. There's a show every Halloween, so it's coming up. I'm going to plug it because it's the best burlesque show I've ever seen. I forget the woman's name, but they have it at the Cobalt every year. And it's um, movie grade makeup and like oh wow horror burlesque it's i've never been so disturbed <laughs> no like really i've been I, it was disturbing and it, you know and halloween and mixed with the sex it was just the ticket hmm. so yeah if you're looking for good burlesque sarah oh what's it called 
Oh, I'll let you know later. It's it's rolling around in my head right now. There's a lot of Halloween events coming up, and I'm hoping we can kind of do like a Halloween special. Special. That'd be cool. Um, Absolutely. Because there's lots of arts, Halloween stuff. But um, yeah, no, it was good. And it, the best one was this girl from Toronto. And so it sounds like, you know, they have guests, burlesque artists that are sort of t- traveling. And she did a song, like she sang an actual song. And it was oh. more like that Moulin Rouge type of song. Mm. And man, she was good. Really, oh. really good. And the professor sang a song and kind of like a monster mashed. Actually, I think it actually was the monster mash. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Anita and I were kind of like, we had fun. You know, it's kind of, and then afterwards, like the DJ is like really sexy. And um, <laughs> she does kind of a dance, it turns into a dance party. I mean, it, oh, was nice. like, it was like a pretty like, poorly attended dance party but it's kind of this meat market vibe like everyone's like a little bit keyed up or something or or they go keyed up like (sighs) you know and i was like "Eh, no no (laughs) (laughs) it's an institution though yeah yeah Yeah. no and no it was it was it's good we need more fun stuff so it's ongoing so you should definitely check it out rohi every sunday yeah okay every sunday night I'm sort of torn because we're running out of time. There's two things I wanted to talk about, um, but maybe I'll leave. And both of them are kind of ongoing or upcoming, so there's no real pressure to get to them. So I think I'll leave one um, for another week. Maybe I'll talk about Joan of Arc because I love history. Awesome. And there's a play coming up at the Arts Club, um, and so just got an invite for tickets. Oh, Sarah, can I get on this? Maybe. Yes. Do, should I get two tickets? Do you want to go what, with when me? When is it? Yeah. Well, it's ongoing. It's oh. A, it's that's actually a whole month. Oh, awesome. October 23rd to November 23rd. So maybe what? But it's at the Stanley Industrial Alliance stage, so it's a big show. Um, so that you know, we'll we'll have to talk about. I'll maybe ask for two tickets on separate nights. Uh, either way, yeah, that'd be. It seems like something I'd be interested in because I've always uh, had a fascination with Joan of Arc. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Like like you, I'm also a history buff. And, uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I've never seen a film version of Joan of Arc. I know there are some out there. But so this is a play? Is it like a... It's a play. It's actually... Any like, musical elements or is it just Oh, a, God. Oh, that would be oh, ridiculous, God. right? <laughs> well, it's by George Bernard Shaw. Oh, awesome. You're an English major, yeah. right? Yeah, I've heard of George Bernard Shaw. He's born on my birthday, July 26th, oh. or rather I'm born on his birthday. So, yeah, I think it's a very well-written play, and it's um, the extraordinary story of a legend. So, um, yeah, it, it the classic play explore, explores the legend of Joan of Arc and her remarkable rise and fall. How did an illiterate teenage girl inspire an army of men to rid France of its English occupiers and place a dauphin? Mm-hmm. Dauphin is... The, the king or the dauphin dauphin sorry dauphin. Uh, um they so. would be like know. the son of the king mm-hmm. and uh yeah yes so definitely i'm really excited um and there's a little bit about shaw here but it's it's a long run so we're gonna go see it and talk about it more but i just kind of printed off some stuff of joan of arc um, yeah. from wikipedia and she's quite a fascinating character what do you know about her I don't think uh, I know all the things that Wikipedia has to say. Um, I don't know. I've just, I just I was just more interested. Like in terms of specific facts, I don't know that much. I was just really interested in the fact that there was a woman that ha- managed to lead the French army. Like, and in in some case, in many cases, to victory. She was like this commander figure. Yet, um, 
she came out of nowhere. She was, if I'm correct, she was just essentially a peasant. Like, mm-hmm. did she have any royal lineage no, at not, all? Not at all. No, she right? Was uh, her parents? Oh, well, her parents were landowners. They owned fifty acres of land, which was, which was pretty good for mm-hmm. the time. He supplemented his farming work with a minor position as a village. But they wouldn't be considered aristocrats. Oh, not by any means. No. And it, but what was interesting about her was that she was spiritual in a sense, yeah. and that's why people. Went for her. She experienced her first vision at the age of twelve years, and saw visions of figures, of like um, yeah, the Archangel Michael, Saint Catherine, and Saint Margaret. So you know, obviously, those were huge things to people. Catholicism was yeah. really huge for people, um, and she was considered to be kind of spiritually gifted. Um, but was also interesting. I mean, there's not many heroines in no. history. No, no. And her this kind of mission, right? Like that came out of nowhere and she just was very assertive about um she she turned up at the court and said you know she had to talk to the king and she sort of won him over with not with sexual charms but just with her intensity and desire and i think it sort of came at the right time in terms of they were so beaten down by this hundred years war with the english mm-hmm. um and you know, and people sort of bought into this idea of a figurehead, right? A divinely inspired figurehead. And um, also, interesting, she was sort of famous for her cross-dressing, right? Like, she yeah. she wore male armor, but also, I think, outside of that, dressed as a male, sort of as a form of protection. Um, according to the later descriptions, she had previously been wearing male clothing in prison, once she was in, in prison, um, because it deterred rape by making it difficult for her, but hmm. for people to get her clothes off. Um, and she said, yeah, so she resumed male attire either as a defense against molestation um, or because in the end she only had male clothes. But it was interesting because one of the charges they brought against her when they tried her... The English, that is, yes. <laughs> ...was uh, that she was a cross-dresser. Yeah, It yeah. says... Um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting, right? In a sense, that's one of the reasons she lost her life. Witchcraft. Because it was so, what are, you're looking at me very interestedly. No, I'm interested in what you have to say. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I thought, yeah, I thought that was really remarkable. And other than the political heresy and so on mm. that they accused her of. But, you know, I was like executions and by burning 30th of May 1431. So I'm really excited to see the play. Now, I hope they don't do one of these... Joan of Arc in the 1920s or uh. something. Like, I want medieval. It better yeah. be medieval. Strangely enough, Joan of Arc is my drag name. Really? Jonah Vark. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I still don't tell anyone because I don't want to take it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and she was a cross-dresser, too. I yeah. just learned. That's well, great. Well, we knew that, right? But I, I guess I, guess I didn't think not, not usually framed that way. No, mm-hmm. no, no. But. God love that bob, though. Who's that Bob? Avenger inspiring Bob. Oh, her haircut, the classic oh, the Joan Bob. Yeah. bowl cut. Oh, bless. Yeah. So, what drew you to kind of adopt that name? Oh, I've never done drag, but if I were, it would okay. be Joan. Oh, of Arc. I think you need to do that. <laughs> this is you why need you be can't Joan tell of Arc for or Jean d'Arc, as you might say. Jean, Jean d'Arc. Oh, that's a good one. Um, for Halloween this year. Oh, maybe. I was gonna do Little Orphan Annie, actually. Oh my God. That's yeah. so good. You guys can't see me, but I'm six foot four, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what What are you going to be for Halloween, Rogan? I have not even thought of it yet. Um, I don't know. 
I've always been wanting to get a Totoro suit and just put... If anybody knows Totoro, it's a Japanese character. Big, humongous creature that's super furry uh, and hilariously cute. So I would love to put this big suit on and just... Uh, like not even nobody will even see who I am. I'll just be like this big mascot character Ugh, walking around the streets, fun. and 